because this is really important when it comes to, to suicide. Suicidal thoughts are often a very fleeting thought. I've had an opportunity to share with students before that tomorrow needs you. Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. Today we are covering a sensitive subject, suicide. My guest is the superintendent of Granite Falls School District, Dr. Josh Middleton. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Look forward to visiting. Yeah, so you're not here in Granite Falls right now. You're in Arizona. No, I'm in Arizona. I took time off. I had a grandbaby born six months ago, and I just couldn't stand it anymore. And I had to come down and meet her. And then, of course, I have a a five-year-old also. And so we've just, we've enjoyed this week together. How lucky for them to have you there with COVID and all. Right, right. It was just time. What prompted this show is an email that you sent to your staff. Do you want to tell us about that? Sure, I do. Each month at our board meeting, we'll have a principal share a little bit about what's going on in their school and how things are going. What are the challenges? What are the goals? What are the successes? And we just had an odd timing this past month where actually two principals shared their reports with the board. And what was so noticeable was that both principals shared that the staff was struggling. And and of course, students have been struggling during this time as well. The principals both encouraged the board to, you know, if an opportunity came out to encourage them in some way. Actually, I went home that night. It was really heavy on my heart. It has been a tough year. Even though we are starting to see the light, I just felt I needed to share something. And so I wrote to our our teachers and our paras. I shared something that it's been over five years since my wife has passed away from suicide. And I don't share that very, very much. And But I felt like I needed to because one of the things that I learned through that experience was... I wasn't going to let Tammy's suicide then define me. So I wanted to share that message with the staff that it's been a heck of a year. It's been tough. It's been tough on our our staff, our students, our parents, and we all want to go back. It just seems like it's so tough to make long-term plans. You're just going day to day. And you're just thinking, when is this going to end? And I just thought this teaching staff and our our staff can't let this past year define them as educators. This is just really in the whole scheme of things, it's just a little blip. And that words are so important. And right now, what we need are even more encouraging words. And I don't mean just sort of those empty empty words that, yeah, we're going to get through this, but it's really digging deeper and being real with each other and encouraging one another and saying, you know what? Yeah, I feel that way too. I feel like this. And, and, but being there, and I just noticed that our daily interactions, whether it's in a store or in traffic, we are shorter with each other right now. And this is the time we need to show even more grace to get through this. The response from my staff was really fascinating because while I shared that piece of my life as the days, months, and years go by, I will be even more vocal advocate on awareness and and support. Again, the, the bigger message was, let's not have this define us. But I certainly wanted to 
also help our staff pay attention to the mental strain that is occurring among our staff and students. And, and certainly mental health in general is something that I'll always be an advocate and, and passionate for. But these times right now, we are seeing more people depressed, more students struggling, a lack of motivation and from a school perspective, so as an educator perspective, we're seeing some grades that have really just dropped because there's that lack of interaction with peers and being in person. And so we, we certainly worry about that. But I think even more, we've got to be looking at that holistic piece and paying attention to their well-being. They will grow up as students who experience this very strange year in their school career. I know academically, we're going to get through it just fine. We'll be able to catch up. But it's that emotional piece that, that I'm especially sensitive to. What are some of the things teachers want to be looking for in their students? There are a few things. One is, of course, we want student engagement. I mean, when a student is engaged, COVID, non-COVID, when students are engaged, they're going to be productive in their class. And so we want to do whatever we can to get students engaged during this time of remote learning. Now, we're certainly moving into more of a hybrid in person, but we've really wanted to do that. And then, of course, just if not engaged in their daily interactions, you start looking at the assignments, the quality of the assignments. And then what's really missing when you go to remote learning is as a teacher, you greet students as they come in. That student that comes early, you can have that short little conversation or the student that deliberately sort of is delaying their exit from a room. I mean, those are all little hints to a teacher that, okay, they, they want to say something, but they're not sure how to approach. With Zoom, it's, it's more difficult. And so it's important to make ourselves available so that it's a little bit more pressure on the student and parent to prompt themselves to say something. So those are, those are the key things, just as withdrawal. And of course, you, you hear from other students. My friend is really struggling and what can we do? So it's just really trying to keep open communication and good communication with students and parents during this time. My sister is a teacher as well, and the whole thing that teachers had to pivot so quickly to a, a totally unknown way of teaching, I think, added so much pressure. And then parents had to totally rearrange their whole life, and kids are caught in the middle where they might see it as more of an adventure. But I'm curious because uh, when COVID first hit, the CDC put out a little book about not to be afraid— it was for kids. And I can't help but wonder if they're dealing with some fear of this unknown because for them, they don't have enough experience to be freaked out, whereas adults were like, this has never happened before. That's right. And right now in, in my district, we have some of the early grades back. We have preschool and kindergarten, first, second, third. They're back. And you know what? They are the best mask wearers. It's odd. You can't see the expressions, but they are so happy to be back. But it is the adults that it can be just that unknown, and of course, more vulnerable as well. This past week has been such a whirlwind as vaccinations have been made available to educators, including my staff. We've been fortunate and, and very grateful for that. 
And so hopefully we can get students back in, but there's still going to be those questions, but I, I don't see it so much at the, the younger ages as much as the older ages and the adults. I do have to say, though, that I suffer from, from allergies and just my five-year-old granddaughter, when I sneezed the other day, she asked, do you have COVID? And I said, oh, gosh, Hartley, no, it's, <laughs> these are allergies and no. But for a five-year-old to even have to ask that question was just interesting as that information gets pushed down. Of course, there's not that comprehension that, as you said, that adults have that knowledge and awareness, I guess. Yeah. And you had said earlier about reaching out and being kind. And for me, the one thing I really noticed is because of fear, like when we would go to the grocery store and we were supposed to wear masks and sometimes you're looking at something and you lose track and you get a little too close. And I feel like people are looking at me like a murderer. I feel like as we're starting to slide back into better times that we're relaxing a little, but that seems almost like when People start to let down where maybe there are more of those thoughts of they've held it together so long. Now they're getting lax and maybe allowing some really negative thoughts. That can be. And I I still experience the same thing, especially in a grocery store or or hardware store that (laughs) you're going down the aisle and it's almost this parting of the seas. And, you know, um, (laughs) but I have to say that just going out being active and being out on walks, I've noticed that there's a little bit kinder interaction now that people are like, okay, we're going to get through this. And though the space might be a little wider than regular times, I do think some of that, uh, especially in Washington, where of course we are indoors with rain so much, I'm starting to see more and more people outside. And while keeping some distance, I'm, I'm just, I've experienced some more positive interaction. So hopefully people can get outside and enjoy this weather. And it's been it's been a rainy winter for sure for us. Yeah, even daylight savings times time feels oh, like, doesn't that feel like a breath of fresh air? There is uh, some statistics that suicide is the leading cause of death in the United States. And there's also a suicide hotline with 800-273-8255, 800-273-8255. Eight two five five. Now, do suicide lines help families too if they've experienced it? They they certainly could. I would say that for families that have it, I I would share what I what I did when when uh, Tammy passed away uh, by suicide, and that is I went to a survivors group. There's certainly phone resources, but there's there's a lot of power in coming together with other survivors because you certainly have the questions of what just happened? How did this happen? I mean, you start having questions about yourself. Was it something I've, I've done or did I miss some signs? And by going to a survivor's group, you certainly hear everything. And I guess one of the things I shared in that email with my staff was I was at a survivor's group my sister, just a wonderful, the, the best sister I could have, was with me that entire time in just dealing with the grief and really the next steps in my life, putting it together. So we were at this survivors group, you know, like a lot of groups there, we're in a circle, everyone can share if they want to. This one survivor was just so angry and just the rage and bitterness 
and her husband had passed away. And, and so I'm sitting there and it had only been weeks for me. I'm thinking, okay, there's another sort of new person that, that's going through this. And toward the end of her story, she mentioned that it had been four years that since her husband had passed away. And, and I looked over at my sister, Amy, and there was a part of me that my heart sunk because I just thought, is that going to be me? There's no way I can be that person in four years. That was a real turning point for me because I just really started to embrace, I'm going to be better and not bitter. To get back to your question of what would you, you know, who do you call? What do you suggest? Really, if you're a survivor, if you've had someone very close to you who has, who has completed suicide, go to a survivor's group because you will... One, see that you're not in it alone. Two, you, you'll be able to work through some of those questions. And there's some guilt involved too. And of course, trauma. So certainly reach out, reach out to a, a survivor's group. When my son was in high school, one of his friends died by suicide. And my son has struggled. The high school kids trying, I believe they were trying to make a connection to support my son, but they would say things like, well, didn't you see the signs or different things like that, which led to more guilt. And I don't ever believe any of those kids were, were trying to hurt him, but people do say things. What are good things people can say to somebody who's just experienced that? A brother-in-law who I hadn't seen in a number of years, and this is right right before the memorial service, he hadn't met, he hadn't met Tammy. We it had been so many years since we've seen each other. And he just said, tell me about Tammy. I'm going to tear up a little bit now. And, uh, you know, tell me about Tammy. And that was just so refreshing because I could, I could tell stories of, of joy and sorrow of her struggles, but it was just such an open invitation for me to share what I wanted to share. And that's, that always comes to mind when people ask me that question. That's the question to ask is, tell me about that person. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Were your kids still at home when this happened? No, I had been married and before and my ex-wife and I had kids and they were all grown, but we had divorced. And so Tammy came into my life and we had, you know, really just the, the two of us. I was up in Montana and, and she was she was really struggling and she had lived down in Tucson before in Arizona. And it was just the time period where I needed to provide some care for her. And she knew some doctors down here. And so we moved down here and, and really I was I was pretty much a caregiver for a couple of, for for two years. So our relationship had shifted from this man and wife and you know, just enjoying life, but certainly the ups and downs, especially when there is someone with mental illness. But when we were down here, we had a pretty steady first year. And then the second year, things really started to go downhill. Like I said, it was more of a caregiving time. Though I shared this in my my email to the staff, I, I didn't expect that day. I didn't expect December 29th to come. This was something I learned is that people who do have suicidal thoughts don't complete the act at the lowest point, they actually have hit the lowest point and they've actually start to feel stronger where they feel like they can carry it out. And I can look back and say, yeah, we had 
Tammy was sort of at some low points and was just sort of coming up. And I, I would not have picked December 29th as that day. And so it was a total shock to me to come home and, and find Tammy. Oh. And so just being aware that something I, I learned that uh, it's not, not at the lowest point. I've actually heard that before. And I wonder if doctors are aware to let the caretakers know that because I've seen this happen with another person I know. They started to do better. They got on antidepressants and everyone was like, yeah, we're good. And, you know, what a shock. That's right. And, and, for, and for the person themselves, of course, they might be taking medicine to, to help with those symptoms and all of a sudden they feel better and they decide to get off the meds and that's that's not good either. And so it's a family member really needs to be very attuned to, to their person that is struggling. I think also with mental health, it's really easy to isolate or want to keep it under wraps. And so asking for help is a little more difficult. What would you say about that? I guess there, there are two points here. For, for someone who is struggling themselves, it is finding that strength. And I don't know, uh, I guess there, there's that humility and an, an embarrassment that goes, that, that stigma that goes with it. But boy, if they were struggling with diabetes, they, they would not stop at all for getting help. And so it's just helping them overcome that. But as a, as a family member uh, with someone who has uh, someone in the family with mental illness, they've got to get help. I mean, if for anything for themselves, again, in a support group or helping them cope, but also being involved in the caregiving of their family members so that they're aware, they know. And it was very common for me to go to appointments with Tammy because I felt like I needed to know. And, and Tammy was very open to that. So that that was never a struggle. But again, if it were a heart condition or, or a diabetic, you wouldn't hesitate with your family member or partner going in. Of course, you would want that. And so there are a lot of people that are struggling with mental illness, and it's not an, an isolated thing. And two, you know, love has to be greater than any sort of stigma or embarrassment. And you just need to, you need to go and, as I say, show up for that person, show up for whether it's a friend or family member her spouse. The last five years, my, my sister and Amy and I have this concept of showing up. When you show up for someone, and I guess that was my point to my staff, is be there and be present, show up for each other, and we, you'll get through whatever the, the crisis is. What would you say to a family that maybe has never really experienced any type of mental illness or anything like that, and now they see some behavior in their kid they're worried about, and they're maybe wanting to say, well, it'll pass. What would you say to parents that are starting to see something really unusual? Sure. Well, of course, I wouldn't be the one qualified to say anything about mental health, but if they did have concerns and I had, there were behaviors of concern that perhaps a staff member saw or that I saw, sharing that with the family and then just encouraging family to to get medical and professional assistance. I guess what's important is don't think it might be a short phase or don't don't ignore. I, I mean, I'd rather 
err on the side of, okay, we've checked this out, then, okay, this is just the phase they're going through. If they're seeing something for repeated behaviors and, and so forth, get help. And then there are support groups for absolutely everything. And that's where you get a lot of information to help overcome that. And, and just the support that you get from other families that might be struggling. And you, you realize, you know what, you're not alone. And that's where you share tips of, and stories of success and, or, and even things what not to do. My father always said, don't be a lone ranger. So uh -huh. don't, don't try and just do things by yourself. Always reach out for, for help. And so I would encourage that. And, and looking at mental illness differently, it isn't who we are, it's what we have. I know in families where they've never experienced anything, I mean, I come from a long line of mental illness. <laughs> we recognize it. Uh, we know to get help. But a family that doesn't, they may see it as something very shameful because they feel guilty. And that what's most important is to get the help and get the support and try to suspend your thoughts that this is horrible, this is terrible, because many people with a, a mental illness end up living very good lives. Absolutely. Tammy was a, a successful account executive for Starbucks for, for her career until she reached a point where she things were just too overwhelming. So absolutely, it goes back to what I was saying. You can't let that define you. There are so many other qualities of who you are that define you. But this is just something that's, you know, is part of a person's makeup. And uh, for, for many people, they get the help, whether it's uh, some sort of therapy or medicinal, and they go on to lead just wonderful, wonderful lives. There are those that will continue. They'll have lifelong struggles, but there's always, there's always help. And so I, I saw Tammy in that latter category that she recognizes she did seek help. I want to go back because this is really important when it comes to, to suicide. Suicidal thoughts are often a very fleeting thought. And so I've had an opportunity to share with students before that tomorrow needs you. And so if a family does have a student that might have the suicidal thoughts, it, it is a matter of just getting through tomorrow because it will, it will and can get better. Just getting through that little time period is important. And just that, just that little phrase of tomorrow needs you, I think, are, are just words of encouragement for someone because they're fleeting. Now, yes, they can come back. Obviously they can, but not to do anything rash in that moment can really help save a person's life. Yeah, that there actually is a light at the end of the tunnel, which sometimes is hard to believe. There is a light and uh, it's helping someone realize, you know, these these thoughts aren't going to be here forever and ever. Mm -hmm. It's It's just... For some reason, those dark thoughts move in for a little time period. And when there's that love and support, you can get through that. Yeah. So I love it. Two things that really stood out to me. One is show up for each other. And it's what, more than people that are just struggling, just all of us who are struggling with all of the transitions we've been through and that we do be present for each other, however that looks for us. And I know with vaccines now, that's making it a little better. And I love that statement, tomorrow needs you. Yes, those are two 
powerful points and and tomorrow does does need you mm-hmm. and uh and not to sound cliche but there are better days for this COVID world there are better days ahead and it is a matter of time and and i'm, I'm just I shared with my staff, I'm so proud of them for being there every day, for showing up for our students and our schools, because our students need that. And and I guess my message is I want to show up for my staff so that they're there and, and that tomorrow it does need us and it, and it will be better. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. And of course, I heard it about it from one of your staff members. And uh, I'm so grateful because I think this is something we want to talk about. We want to have uh, in our repertoire of things that we can say and that there is help and there is good things because it's easy to get wrapped up in thinking those looping thoughts. So thank you so much for sharing and thank you for supporting your staff. I know having a sister for a teacher, I've just watched how teachers are so unbelievably amazing. They always give more time, energy, money than anybody, I think, could fathom. I know that they've struggled, but they keep showing up and they keep finding new ways to engage the kids. And I, just a, a kudos to all the teachers. That's right. Absolutely. And, and we have just a great staff. I'm blessed to work with them and want to show up for them. Thank you. Again, the Suicide Hotline is 800-273-8255. 800-273-8255. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in today, and we hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community. Words are so important. And right now, what we need are even more encouraging words. And I don't mean just sort of those empty empty words that, yeah, we're going to get through this, but it's really digging deeper and being real with each other and encouraging one another and saying, you know what? Yeah, I feel that way too. I feel like this. And, and, but being there, and I just noticed that our daily interactions, whether it's in a store or in traffic, we are shorter with each other right now. And this is the time we need to show even more grace to get through this.